Welcome to Time and Materials, the podcast covering the tough topics for growing early-stage professional services firms. I'm your host, Chris Hart. The podcast today will be summarized in the Time and Materials newsletter. You can find that on Substack and at my website, chris-hart.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-H-A-R-T.com. Now, on to today's episode. Today's episode is picking up where we left off last week. Ellen Daly joined me to talk about fast-growing services businesses and partner-centric sales approaches. Ellen was the CEO of Acorio, a highly recognized ServiceNow partner that sold to NTT Data. If you haven't listened to the first part of our conversation, it's worth checking out. But now, we're going to pick up where that conversation left off as we started talking about partnerships. To start off, maybe we can we can talk a little bit about how did you pick ServiceNow when Acorio was getting started? Yeah. And, and, you know, I give that credit to some of the few people that came, you know, before me, folks in there, like early on. For me, the reason to stay with ServiceNow, you know, because that was coming in, you know, and or versus, you know, diverging and stuff was ServiceNow was like the super fast growing business. Like, you know, the TAM, the total addressable market was really big. And it was also did not have significant barriers to entry, the partner ecosystem. Like there are some products like Workday, for example, notoriously has like a really high barrier to entry into their partner ecosystem, meaning it's really hard to get in the program and then it can pay off in the end, but it's expensive to get into the program um, and also to get certified and all that kind of stuff. So we felt that ServiceNow had the right mix of growth, the right friendliness, towards partners um, and wanted to build uh, a richer partner ecosystem. And part of it also was like a bet, you know, (laughs) like there's a lot of places you can place your bets and ServiceNow, at least for us and me was, you know, cloud native. It was very exciting in one area of purchase inside an enterprise, you know, IT, because ServiceNow got its, it started out as a platform and then it actually became an ITSM tool. They built an application on it. So we also looked at once we get into a company, are there opportunities when we pick this partner to go right and left to sell into other departments? And we knew ServiceNow's strategy was that, you know, so we could sell into HR, we could sell into security and we could sell into risk. And so that was a very important component of the decision. And I see that happening with other, you know, people that go down data paths, like with the Snowflake or Databricks, you know, could you could see selling data projects and capabilities into other departments, not just, and so once you get a good reputation in one department, you can go to another department and that helps bring down your cost of sale. I think one of the, the patterns, maybe if I can extrapolate from that and you, you tell me if I'm, if I'm getting this right or not, is when you think about what type of partner to look for. So I guess the first thing to, to kind of clarify is there's lots of partner ecosystems that are out there. Like there's no shortage of companies that rely on services, businesses to do implementations, to help with strategic consulting, to do all sorts of things. So you, no shortage of, of partners in the landscape. But the thing that allows a services business to be fast growing and to kind of be hip to hip with a partner is this uh, like large addressable market. And it seems like you're more likely to find that in a business that's kind of at the early stages of their growth. So I'm guessing like when you started with ServiceNow at Acorio, like it was ServiceNow already had a lot of success, but they, I mean, they had a ton of runway left, right? It's probably a very different environment than even something like an Amazon. And even though, you know, there's still lots of good opportunities for partnership with Amazon, it's, those are two vastly different 
starting points for a partner relationship. I really agree. And sometimes I just to, you know, maybe build on that. I think sometimes where the partner ecosystem is in, you know, also matters. Like for example, one could have looked at the service now and depending on where your vantage point is, you could said we were early or we were late, right? Because there had already been a set of services companies that had grown up, grown to three, 400 people and exited, right? And, you know, so when we looked at it, we were like, are we late? You know, ServiceNow still a ton of runway, but, you know, like maybe there, it was too crowded, you know, but we looked at the partner ecosystem and said, there's no one at scale. So if we take investment and we can get to scale, we, we can have quite a runway here. So it's also the stage of the partner ecosystem and the competition, I think, to evaluate as well. Like an AWS right now ecosystem, you know, tremendous amount of partners, right? And many at kind of the same size. And so that's, there's still tons of runway. And I'm, I'm just like playing off of your comment a little bit here, but it may be you want to wait if you were deciding to enter that ecosystem until there's the first wave. And so that you can come in and fill a hole in terms of, you know, a scaled player. Oh, I think that's a, a great way of, of kind of clarifying or putting a lens on the, the way to find a good partner to, to kind of join up with. I guess for people who haven't really thought through what it means to build a services business around a partnership model versus building one with their own direct sales channel and no partnerships, what's the quick version of comparing and contrasting what that means in terms of building a business? I think you have a whole additional audience. That's really the first. Um, so when you think about marketing and sales, even delivery, you don't have just your clients and you. You have your clients, you, and the partner. And that means when you market, you also want to market to the partner. So you can get up and that you can get referrals in. When you sell, you got to be selling also to those licensed reps, probably in region or in industry, as well as trying to go out to the direct market. So it... it little more costly, but it's also a little more differentiated at times. And if you could build those relationships up and prove value, particularly to the partner, you're, you, so all it's a little more money, you know, I'd say, because you have this additional audience you have to pursue. I think there's some philosophical debate about when you are in a partner ecosystem. I'm curious what, what you think is some people say, I only have to go to the partner, you know, they'll give me the leads. They know where the, the new licenses are going to go and they're going to need services. Uh, my philosophy is that that's a very vulnerable position um, because the partner can, you can, you'll fall in and out of favor with the partner through rotating leadership. You have a horrible project that pray doesn't happen, but does happen sometimes. And your, your reputation takes a hit for a little bit. Having a direct access to the market for those uh, clients that may have the product, but there's not a license opportunity in there right now. So the, the partner reps, license reps aren't looking and hunting in there. You may have an opportunity to push a lower performing partner out. You may have an opportunity to do some type of managed services work. So you kind of want to work both channels a lot. Um, but it is a debate, uh, I think, amongst people. What you're saying definitely resonates. And a lot of my experiences were not really built around the, the, the partner kind of model for the, the business that we were building. We did have partners, but it, it wasn't quite in the, the same kind of way that Acorio did with ServiceNow. I think the the thing that people who who may not have been down this path before maybe don't realize you you, you kind of touched on this earlier is that you, know, you think oh well you know once i i'm established in this partner ecosystem the leads are just going to show up 
and that doesn't happen, right? So maybe even to the extent that partners do help with leads, maybe you can talk a little bit about how do you nurture the right relationship with a, a partner? Or maybe actually as a starting point, you know, let's say somebody's thinking about joining one of these partner ecosystems and they don't have somebody to go just call at Databricks or call at ServiceNow or call at Microsoft to, to get into the ecosystem. Like, how do you even get started? Yeah, well, usually there's an application online. If you go on the website and you click on partners, probably usually under the about company somewhere, there's like click on here or contact this person even. So there, there usually is a conduit in, but for the really large ecosystems like Microsoft, that can be very automated and transactional. And they'll say it costs as much to join. I mean, I haven't dealt with Microsoft, but as an example, or you need to have this many certified people before we consider tell me their names and, you know, show me that they've gone through my certification program and then we'll talk. But that's how you get started. Yeah. And I think the, you, you kind of alluded to this, that you can tell a lot about how mature a partner ecosystem is by how built up all of this infrastructure is around the partner ecosystem management, right? So like the, the portal that you go into and how you sign up and how sophisticated all the things are to track your employees who have certifications and all that stuff, the, the really robust people who have built out big partner ecosystems have all this machinery to go along with it. And the people who are just getting started, I remember, you know, we got started with a, a Google partnership in the pretty early days of Google cloud partners. And, you know, the, the, the system, if you can call it that for getting signed up was, was pretty simple. It was nothing compared to, well, both what it is now for Google, but you know, what you described as, you know, being the case for Microsoft. So, you know, that's, that's how you get started but I think what you what you've kind of hit on throughout this conversation is it's not just, hey, go out to the forum and sign up. It's these relationships that exist in the field and with the partner folks like maybe talk about what is a what is a fully functioning partner relationship system look like inside a services organization? Yeah. So the way we looked at it and, and I look at it is you want to be hitting them from all sides, you know? So we tend to think of it like a, um, a, a set of pillars with something across. So you need to have both relationships and, and show value. Um, and I'll talk about that maybe just a sec about the value. Cause I like, or feel like I learned something that I made a big mistake early on. So certainly the sales organization, and there's usually pretty complex sales organizations. So that's one pillar. The marketing organization, which is sometimes neglected, but can be really great for, they'll give you funding sometimes to help market the product organization. So typically the product organization, not always the most to help you with deals, but they help build um, brand value inside the partner company when you have really smart people that can give insight, like, hey, for the next product rev, have you considered this, you know, in the product rev? And then the services or customer outcomes group, which sometimes you might be competing with for some of the larger clients, but getting on their radar, being friendly with them really helps build the 360. And then across the top is the executive relationship. So we very diligently mapped out people once we early on and then as we developed who who are we addressing in sales you know and if you're a five person company like i'm working with you know a small company right now i'm like okay well if you're in the dallas area who are the sales reps in the dallas area even if you're not a partner yet start start trying to build a relationship and, and demonstrate value who's in marketing you know and once you get in the partner program and work those four pillars of sales marketing services and product and then the executive side um, which will happen over time 
and manage it really tightly because activity will breed, you know, results typically. And then once you get in the partner program, things grow from there. Not sure if you're here, but one thing like I learned, Chris, and um, again, curious if you, uh, I know you didn't have exactly the same type of business, but when we were doing marketing and anything to the partner, we found ourselves early on talking a lot about us. We're a services player. We can do anything with service now. And everyone would nod their heads because partner people and the reps, they're very friendly people. Oh, okay, that's great. But the only thing the partner cares about on its basis is selling more licenses. And we used to say, wake up in the morning, remind yourself that the partner only cares about selling licenses. And it, and it shifts your thinking about how to get their attention. Typically, as a services company, you can't source. It's too expensive to source net new licenses. But being creative about really highlighting examples where you were in a, a deal, you know, you're delivering and there was an opportunity for an incremental license or two and playing that back to the partner. You know, everyone gets real excited because you're helping them make their number. It, it may sound obvious, but it took a little bit of time for me to and my team to really get in that mindset. And then it did great. Yeah, I totally agree. Just to go back to one thing that you mentioned that I, I think is is so important for businesses who are thinking about going down this path to understand is what you described as mapping out the, the partner company's organization. It's like whatever you would be doing to sell to a direct customer, you're now doing that within whatever your partner is. So understanding the organizational landscape and understanding who is relevant to your success as a partner, you have to do all that. And to your point, there's, there's more people in that organization than you can possibly fathom in, in a lot of cases who you need to be aligned to. And, and you want to be aware of what you're doing to be successful. And I totally agree about the value. I think, you know, one of the things, if, if you can find people who you're, you've got a good rapport with and you've, you've earned the trust of one of the things that, that I would do is actually ask the partner people, like, what are you comped on? So just like very specifically, like, tell me what makes up your variable comp, because that's the thing that reveals what they actually care about. And so if you're talking to a cloud partner and the, they're comped on consumption, well, great. Now, you know what you're trying to aim for. They're not, they're not trying to find new clients necessarily or, or new uh, subscriptions. All they care about is how do I, how do I increase consumption by X percentage? So understanding the, the comp plan of the person that you're working with or supporting, again, not necessarily getting into the numbers, but understanding what the levers are informs all sorts of things about what you should be focused on as their, as their partner. I 100% agree. And it's not always licenses. Like in our world, it was licenses, but you're right. It's different. And understanding that's going to like really help you get inside their head and they'll value you more. Well, and that's the thing. If you're asking that question, it demonstrates that you, you know, you're concerned about their success. And of course you want to be, you know, you need to be concerned about the end client success too, and you need to make them successful. But, but yeah, if you want the, the attention of a, of a partner team, you have to understand what, what motivates them. You know, one of the things that you started to, to touch on was the this idea of marketing, and I think you're you're about to say you know MDF or you know market development funding, and I think you know this is also a little bit of a black box for people who haven't worked in partner ecosystems before. So maybe maybe you can talk a little bit about how partners view using services firms to be out in the market talking about the product, and you know what kind of a what role does a services company play to to actively support their their partner? Yeah, I think like starting at the top in a perfect world, I think, you know, a software company would love that the partners could sell 
not always, you know, this is like, you know, sell, sell a lot for them, right. Or market a lot for them. It's more feet on the street. It's more awareness and they're in with clients in a more intimate uh, services. Companies are in with clients oftentimes in a more, I, I say intimate way because they have to live through delivering a project, which is could be, it's always ups and down and painful. And you really learn the organization versus selling software through a procurement and maybe a VP somewhere, you know, or a few VPs. In the ecosystems that I've worked in, particularly ServiceNow, um, about Salesforce and stuff, is that the software company wants you to talk about all the capabilities, you know, like new products and, and expertise, and also want you to talk about how easy it is to implement their software, <laughs> which isn't always the case, but, you know, all, all told. So they'll give, you know, dollars, MDF, marketing development funds to co-market, you know, uh, let's have a user group meeting in Orlando and talk about uh, best practices on doing X or doing Y. And we'll, we'll throw in some money and we'll bring a speaker, uh, partner and you, uh, services partner, uh, I mean, the software partner will bring someone and give the money and give like half the money for the event. And then you services partner, you bring someone and we both develop a list together and we'll market and, you know, you'll get the services deal and we hopefully will get some license deals. I'm not sure if that's what you were asking me, but. Yeah, and I guess that as a as a services company though who's who's working with a partner to do those sorts of things, how important is that? Like I, I my, you know, my view is that it seems like that fits into that one of those pillars of what you were talking about, right? The marketing pillar. Like partners expect you to do that sort of thing if you're committed to their ecosystem, right? Absolutely. I I'd also say that it's very self-serving too. You know, like if you if you you know, as a, as a services firm, we're going to do marketing and in your ecosystem that you believe that event as an example, event or webinar marketing is fruitful and, you know, typically is, you know, why not do it with the software partner? And presumably they can bring some leads and you can bring some leads. And then there's goodness all around. Even better that they pay a portion of it is the way I, 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 I kind of tend to look at it. So, I think the mindset is not that it's a burden, but it's a way of enabling and even funding some of the activities you would need to do on your own anyway. So I, I see it as all good. Now, now there's some restrictions they sometimes put on you, which is sort of a pain. Um, and that that's where the you know, challenges can come in. That's the life of being a partner, right? Yeah. That's like, you know, it's not your game only. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, one of the things that strikes me about what we've talked about so far is you, you touched on needing to map out the organization of the the partner that you're working with, you need to be aligned to how you work with their sales team and with their marketing teams and product teams and executives and partner program folks. And we're talking about doing, you know, joint co-marketing activities. And this is, it's a, it sounds like a lot of work. It is a, a decent amount of work. At what size or stage can a services company really think about starting a partnership with a, you know, with a, a company like one of these bigger, you know, partner ecosystem types of companies? Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I hate to say it depends, but like if your strategy is to go all in with one partner, it's best to, to start really, really early. And you may not become a partner right away, but you'll, you'll, you need to start those conversations because you're betting your company on it. I mean, I, I guess that's fairly obvious. I think for other companies when they're choosing like two to three partners or something like that, 
I usually recommend that they should have a couple good case studies, at least two or three under their belt before they approach the partner, the software partner, just so they, that they're coming across as viable and, you know, that you have actually a value to add. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it also creates a kind of organic, genuine presentation of your capabilities that's like, hey, we, we would have been, you know, we were doing this anyway, and now we just want to be partnered with you versus, hey, we want to you know, be like a barnacle on the, 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 you know, the success of your partner program, basically. Yeah. And, there, and there's so many partners. So imagine that like, everyone's like, give me the deal, give me the deal, give me the deal. It's really important to get in that mindset. Like we have value to add. And if you start waiting until you actually have a really good case study, that's unique or better yet, you've recommended that software to somebody, even if it's not a deal, you could describe that. Yeah. Is there something from a personnel perspective, as you think about building a sales organization or a marketing organization, or really any, any parts of a services business, are there things that are different that you look for in terms of finding leadership talent as you're building those organizations? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the hardest things, and this is like even for me was when you're, especially like us, we were fully focused on service now, right? When you're a partner and you, you suggested this before, you're not always in control of your destiny. In fact, you're, I use this word lightly, but subservient to the partner. They can call the shots sometimes. And from an ego perspective, particularly for sellers, that can be really hard that they have to sort of cozy up to these licensed reps who sometimes can have big egos and sometimes can feel like they're better than the services partners. So if you hire very, you know, alpha people who are, have difficulty with adjusting their personality to deal with that dynamic, it doesn't go well at, at all. The second thing I'd say is, and I didn't know this, uh, but there's a strong sharing of talent between the software partner and the services partner. And that can be really beneficial because if you have someone who then goes to the mothership, the software partner, you have an in as long as you maintain friendly ties. You may be upset that they're leaving your company, but you suddenly probably have gained an advocate in the software partner. Vice versa, sometimes there'll be a layoff or just, you know, business isn't that hot. You might pick up a good, strong seller or delivery person that can tell you insight. So I, I just wanted to say that that back and forth talent sharing, I think is really strengthens the partnership, you know, as long as it's not abused. Yeah. It's not something to be afraid of. A lot of what we've talked about so far have been the the positive aspects of a partner relationship, but there's got to be some things that are areas that can be challenging or or some downsides. I'm curious, what what do you think? And I, I've got a, a couple that I'll ask you about, but I'm just I'm curious, you know, what are the more challenging aspects, or what are the things that you have to watch out for when you think about going down the path of building a business around a partnership? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So there there's a there's a lot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things is that the partner, one organization in that matrix we spoke about, which I, I guess I, I neglected, but it really wraps around everything is the partner org itself, right? So in these software companies that, that whole, all the partners are managed through the partner org. So you invariably are going to have to connect with them. Sometimes they internal to their software company are seen as less than Yet that partner org is often asking you to do a lot of work. What's your business plan? 
What have you, what licenses have you sold? Give me an update on certs. Constant, constant drag. Show me. And, and what's your business plan? What all this stuff. And it's for the partner org, but it doesn't necessarily find its way into like the field organization, which is where the real you know, rubber hits the road for value, you know, for, for you as a services org, where you want to get to. So managing that and managing how to say we're doing that, but maybe not going to the ground on some things is a finesse that's hard sometimes, I'll be honest. Also, invariably partners will, <laughs> there's so many, like there can be talking out of both sides of the mouth. And this is only because th- their organizations are really big and they and the partner org that sets the rules or the sales can't really control the individual seller. So you often can see bad behavior. For example, a sales rep that is giving everyone they have a set of clients in a geography or an industry and everyone, every time the client says, Hey, who should I work with? They're supposed to give maybe, you know, whatever the rules are, a short list of three favorite partners, you know, they only give one and it's always the same one. And there's some like backhanded, you know, thing going on. It can be very damaging and you don't have a lot of control on how to stop it. Cause if you complain, then you're targeting this one person out who will never help you again. You know, so there's a lot of those type of dynamics about knowing when to complain about something when it's significant enough and when not to. There's also a tremendous amount of constant churn and change and strategy direction and with partner organizations. Like those partner organizations may sometimes even within two quarters shift that we want to do more services work because their revenue is down. And even though a software company doesn't like the margin of services, it's a way to get the top line up. And so suddenly you're hearing they're taking over all the big deals. You're like, wait, 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 that was different last quarter. So you, you have to be very agile in the thinking, but also recognizing it will change again very soon. Those are just some of the examples. Yeah, all of those resonate with me. One that I wanted to pick up on is I think for a lot of services companies, they're using this partnership as a way to get in the door and work with a client. But ultimately, the goal, as you said, is to use that as a way to, to work into adjacent organizations within the client company or find larger scopes of work that may, you know, they're adjacent to or related to the work that you're doing, but really growing beyond the, the partnership. Are there things to look out for in that where the partner can get upset with something that you're doing or where it can introduce channel conflict? How does a services company kind of think about that or create guardrails around that so that they don't get into trouble? I think if what you're asking, like, you know, you're doing a, there's a lot, you know, in there. I mean, if, if the scenario is, is that you're doing a deal, meaning you're delivering on a project, let's say within a client and that software partner rep or set of people hear word that maybe it's not going so well, or believing that they need to sell these licenses into the client and they'll ping you every day saying, Hey, are you, are you helping me sell those licenses? And the clients told you, I don't want those licenses, <laughs> you know, and the rep doesn't want to hear that, of course. And they're, they're, they're type A and they should be and keep pushing. That can create a lot of tension at times, both with the client, as you can imagine, but then also with that rep. There's scenarios when the project goes bad and the client will go to the software partner and ask for inspection, which is very ugly and should be avoided at all points. I find the the hardest thing is when a sales rep is trying to sell a license and they say, do the services deal for X amount of dollars. And it's one X the license. And, you know, typical rule of thumb is 
the services deal is usually two to three X, you know, the license value, you know, in size. And we can't deliver for that. And they're like, if you don't do it for that much, which would be losing our shirt, I'm going to tell them to work with another partner. Because oftentimes a client will only put aside budget for the cap, the software expenditure and the services. And it's, it's a combined dollar amount. And the rep wants more of the license dollars and wants you take less. And that, and that dynamic is the worst, you know. Or the rep has completely front run how big the services deal should be without actually knowing or maybe even caring and just to get the deal done. And then all of a sudden the reality hits the client and you have to be the the bearer of bad news. Yeah. you you. It sounds like you've lived through it many times. Yes, I know that. Oh, it's only 20K. What? It's going to be 2 million to implement, not 20K. And the rep has said 20K, you know. Yeah. Well, but I already own the licenses. What do I do now? It's interesting. I mean, it, it's definitely a double-edged sword. I guess, how do you think about services businesses that, that have multiple partnerships? Is that a, a thing? And, and maybe just to, to put some context around it, like I, I think for some for some services businesses, they start thinking about this maybe at like 10 or 15 or $20 million, right? So we're not talking about like the Accentures and the slaloms of the world, but more, you know, kind of early to mid-stage services businesses. Is that a, a strategy that works to be able to spin up this kind of partner machinery for multiple partners, or is it better to just be all in on one? Yeah. And this is just, you know, uh, my, my experience and opinion is I think it's better to be all in on one or two. I think our exclusive model has its own risk, you know, um, uh, of just service now, but I think you have to ask yourself, what do you want from a partnership? You as a services company, typically you want business, right? Will you have the resources even at 20 million, 30 million to manage all the multiple partnerships? Because they're going to want something from you too. They're going to want leads, you know, and you're going to have to try as hard as you can. The second thing is, is when you staff projects, you, the, the talent's not as interchangeable, you know, like if you're doing micro, you know, people that know, I don't know, Microsoft may not know Adobe, you know, like kind of, yeah, but not, may not, they t- typically don't. And even if they do, they need the certs for both if they're going to end up doing both regularly. Yeah. So it's hard. It's hard. And we found later years that a lot of people would come to us as we gain scale, other partners and be like, uh, not like that connected to ServiceNow. So there's like a whole ServiceNow and then there's a whole bunch of ISVs, right, that are connected to these larger ecosystems, just like Microsoft. And or, and they'll be like, hey, partner up, partner with us. We'll give you leads, but and then you give us leads, but then they want an investment of time to educate their sales team. Then they want to educate our sales team. And that takes the eye off the ball a bit sometimes, in my opinion. So I like fewer concentrated versus spreading wide. Yeah, I think that's wise. Well, you know, we've covered a lot of ground in this. I think we've got time for, for one more question. So maybe as a way to wrap up this part of the conversation, is there something that you wish you had known about having a partner-focused, partner-led sales motion and building a business around that that isn't obvious that you would tell to a, a first-time leader or founder? Well, certainly your point about knowing what they're gold on, like our licenses was, was something I wish I had adopted earlier, like, you know, really again in the heads. The second thing is just how quickly whatever's going on at that partner, like, don't don't freak out. <laughs> Even if they're doing something that seems to damage your business, just understand that 
take the long view that in the end, this partnership is actually a positive thing. And if they're doing something that's destructive, it will be worked out, you know, or vice versa. I think I got really excitable early on, like, oh, they're they're competing against us in this deal. How are we ever going to win? You know, there's a lot of deals, you know, you can compete once in a while. I wish I had known that a little more. So it made me more calm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Truly viewing it as a relationship. It's not a, it's not, you don't want it to be transactional. So you can't make it feel transactional to them is what I hear you saying. That's a great point. It's a relationship. Like every relationship, it will have its deep valleys and huge joy, you know, (laughs) makes a lot of sense. Well, Ellen, thanks so much for being on the podcast. It's been great getting your insights on all of these topics. Can't wait to share them with everybody who's listening. All right, that's it for today's episode. You can find show notes and more posts on topics like this one in my newsletter, Time and Materials. It's available on Substack and at chris-hart.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-H-A-R-T.com. And of course, you can subscribe to the podcast and to the newsletter so that you don't miss out on anything. I'll talk to you next time. And until then, remember to submit your time card. 